fund management, like the world around it, is evolving. Thematic thinking is becoming more and more prominent. Fees are being rethought and disrupted, and all firms, regardless of size, are being forced to think about things differently. But where are we headed? So, in this new series from CityWire Selector, we hope to fill some of those gaps. I'm Chris Soli, the editor of CityWire Selector, and this is the first in a new series called Future Thinking. In these podcasts, we've spoken to people from across the industry and even outside of it to get a better steer on what trends will dominate the future. Over the coming weeks, you'll hear from boutique founders, thematic investors, ETF providers, ESG experts, and more to understand what will be the core considerations for asset management. While we have all that to come, we kick off the series in a slightly left field way. Our first guest is a broadcaster, author, and probably more importantly, a neuroscientist, Dr. Jack Lewis. I had the opportunity to sit down with Jack after he spoke at our fixed income retreat at the end of February this year. Now, Jack is a charismatic public speaker with a keen focus on how thinking in its most literal sense is changing from corruptions of decision making through to why even the most rational minds can make irrational decisions. So sit back, relax and join us in hearing what will shape the literal future of thinking. Warm welcome to a brand new series of podcasts from CityWire looking at the future of thinking or future thinking. With our first guest, why not start? With the brain. So we've got Dr. Jack Lewis, a neuroscientist. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we've seen you speak recently and you've talked about how the brain functions, some of the things we might not know about the brain. And one thing that really jumped out about it for me was rational thinking and how rational we really are and how much we were actually prepared to be rational. So can you expand on that? Because it seems like we're still using a slightly irrational model. Yeah. So um, rational thinking is, is a relatively modern concept. And it's not something that we do intuitively or innately. It needs needs to be taught. So rational thinking involves, to a certain degree, sort of shelving our intuitions on what we should do and sort of trusting an objective, a calm analysis of the data to hand. Um, Our brains, the brains that we have in our skulls are pretty much exactly the same make and design as they were hundreds of thousands of years ago in the era of the Stone Age. It's just that obviously the world, the demands that the world place on us uh, have changed fundamentally. It's not where am I going to get my meal from and you know how am I going to repel predators and threats to me and mine. Um, it's more about what strategic things can I do in order to position myself well in a good industry, within the industry, how can I get ahead of the rest? And so that requires a combination of soft skills where obviously no man is an island and and we need to cooperate and collaborate with others in order to get more done together than we ever could alone. Uh, But it also means that we need to sort of distrust certain gut feelings when we're making decisions uh, in a field that we don't have too much experience of. But does that mean there's a slight fallacy then? Because we're always led to believe, speaking from the fund manager side of things, markets are rational, therefore the people operating in the market are rational. So is that the wrong way of approaching things? Should you approach everything that is going to be irrational so you should act irrationally, or should you try and counter other people's irrationality? Well, that's a very interesting uh, point. So in the early scientific investigations of how humans make financial decisions, they had this concept of homo economicus, like the the rational thinking person that will always make the, the best decision to get the greatest return in the long run. But humans are very uh, wired up in terms of the wiring of our brain. We're wired up to go for immediate gratification. So we'll tend to take a smaller 
uh, reward in the short term, like if we can get our hands on it straight away, than waiting a week or a month to get a slightly larger one. Now that is irrational. We should always, homo, homo economicus suggests that uh, that sort of stereotypical, perfect, rational thinker will always go for the greatest objective gain but time and time again, humans turn out to not take those choices such that we borrow without thinking how we're ever going to pay it back, such that we never end up pe uh, saving enough for pensions, you know, for retirement uh, at the end of the day, because the day-to-day, week-to-week pressure of uh, having pocket money to spend on food and drink, having uh, monthly bills paid off, that always takes precedent, not to mention the holidays and the treats and the nice things that uh, used to be in a previous era, something that happened once in a while, but in this day and age we have this sense of entitlement well we had a, a podcast recently we sorry, we had a discussion recently with a number of fund selectors so people who sit above the fund managers picking what they're going to do and they said one of the biggest challenges for them to make rational decisions is actually the growth of millennial investors who tend to be more short-termist who tend to be mm. more app-based more um and there's a lot more immediacy so one of them said to us it's very hard for you to think in three to five years when somebody might open an app, sell all their holdings and close the app. And you're dealing with somebody who's dealing in milliseconds, not months, years or time. And I'm just interested, and it may be a slightly open question, but, and we talked about it before, you said the brain evolves over thousands of years, not over months, years, generations. But are you noticing a change in the way that people even approach how they, how rational they are, if yeah, that makes sense? It's a very good question. Um, so whilst brain biology evolves very slowly from generation to generation. It takes takes dozens of generations before you're likely to see even the slightest change in our DNA and therefore the structure and function of our brain. However, what has changed fundamentally is the environment, even from the previous generation to the current generation of millennials coming through. And um, whilst our biology, nature discerns or, or sort of dictates uh, the potential for our brain to develop its attentional capacities, memory capacities, intelligence, rational thinking, problem solving, all these kind of things. It's the environment in which we spend time and, and in particular what we do in those environments that actually dictates how far we, how close we get to that potential. So in a world, for example, where people are constantly cycling their attention from one device to another, so they'll never just sit there watching telly. Yeah. Uh, they will also be mucking around, you know, surfing. Yeah, we call it two screening. Two screening, yeah, yeah. Or, or even three screening. So you've got a laptop on your lap, you've got a smartphone in your hand, and you're watching telly. Typically, research has shown that people are switching their attention every 15 seconds, which means that if you compare the so-called heavy media multitaskers to people who are low media multitaskers, as in those who just tend to use one medium at a time, yeah. you find that even with a very simple visual task where you have to notice uh, whether or not uh, the orientation of some lines has changed, when there are flankers, when there are distractors added into the mix, the low media multitaskers can keep their performance level sky high, whether you add two or four or six or eight distractors, 
the heavy medium multitaskers can handle two distractors, but if you add four, their performance gets worse. If you add six, their performance gets worse still. So given the concept of neuroplasticity, which is that anything we do regularly, intensively, and do over long periods of time has the potential to physically shape the structure of our brain and thereby change our capacities and our cognitive abilities, um, it means that this multitasking with technology could be leading to neuroplastic change, which makes the millennials, in, in, in the specific yeah. example you gave, um, it gives them a, a poverty of attention and an inability to focus on one thing at a time. So that, of course, is going to behave, uh, change behaviors. It's going to fundamentally alter um, how, like, the habits of thinking and how deeply they will consider a, a given thing, like, should I sell off all of my assets in one go or should I? pause and think and cool down and see if I still feel the same way a month from now. Um, this this su suspicion, this suggestion from the early research that people who consume lots of different technologies simultaneously have um, difficulties in focusing their attention on one thing is going to have a knock-on effect on other aspects of rational decision-making. Well, that comes on nicely to decision-making because you talked about it in your presentation that we saw um, there are some people who are better than others. There are some things that you can do that could help you in terms of making better decisions. So yeah. Can you just talk to that? What, what are the simple things that people are missing? And there are certain groups who are better attuned at decision making than others. Yeah. So one thing is this this idea of delay discounting. This, you know, I mentioned immediate gratification. We tend to want some some kind of return now rather than being patient and getting a bigger return later. Our capacity to resist that temptation um, is governed by a brain area in the prefrontal cortex behind the forehead. And we have a finite quota of that brain area's capacity in any given day, which means that we shouldn't be making serious decisions late in the day. This brain area, which also enables us to bite our tongue when we're being annoyed by someone and we really want to give them a piece of our mind and tell them how annoying they are, um, our ability to bite our tongue, our ability to rein in this desire for immediate gratification is good early on in the day. And then as you progress through the afternoon into the evening, these capacities start failing us. So, um, you know, one strategy is to make important decisions first thing in the morning when you're fresh, not lead them, not leave them till the end of the day when um, you're basically the brain area that will help you make discipline decisions is, is starting to fail. And at least if you're making those big decisions at the end of the day, have a cup of sweet tea, have a uh, get a bit of a sugar yeah, boost in before, because then that at least feeds that brain area that is somewhat yeah. fatigued with, and then the same thing goes with like relationship management. Quite often when couples are rowing, um, they will be told, look, just get, exchange a sweet, like a, a, a piece of confectionery and eating that will give your brain that sugar boost at a time where you might otherwise get into your bad loops of, of kind of, you know, nagging each other and, and getting into your behavioral set pieces. So this brain area is, is very much under uh, appreciated in, in the modern world and it needs all the help it can get. I genuinely thought you were going to say save your arguments for the morning, not exchange sweets, but that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and I think one of the lessons from this is probably then if you are reviewing your portfolio, if you're thinking about your allocations, it's something better to do earlier on a clear head, not, I think you gave the example of a group sitting down on the last Friday of the month in the afternoon yeah. to make key decisions about right. long-term planning, whereas yeah. it makes much more sense to do that on a clear head, away from the pressures of the end of the month, end of quarter, those sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. It's about being aware of the, the, the kind of 
positive things that brain evolution has left us with, if you have a lot of experience in making decisions in a very small aspect of, let's say, fund selection, then having had lots of experience of when your expectations were met and when they weren't met, your brain will upgrade its model of how the world works, that particular sector of the world works, and so your intuitions and your gut feelings will lead you quite well. Being also aware that even if you have very little experience in the decision-making world of, say, a, a different sector of finance that you're not very, very familiar with, you'll still have gut feelings, but they're more likely to mislead you than to lead you in, in a positive way. So sometimes you can trust your intuition, sometimes you can't, and it's all a matter of experience. So, you know, in some regards, it's about distrusting your gut feeling and just focus, focusing on getting good data, analyzing that data, and trusting the numbers, trusting your spreadsheet, so to speak. And other times it's, no, I, I have extensive knowledge in this field, and even though everyone's spreadsheets are saying to do this, I just have a gut feeling that this area I am a relative expert in is going to go again against the historical trends of the past um, and, and, you know, back yourself. Because at the end of the day, if the whole world is going one way and then you realise they're going that way and you go the other, well, we all know that that can lead to, to great benefits uh, for those lucky few who pick and write. I think back yourself is a great note to end on. Thank you very much, Jack. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the first in our Future Thinking series, and it would be glib of me to say there's a lot to think about there, but that's the main reason we're doing this. So our next guest will be Remy Briand, head of ESG indexing at MSCI. So I hope you'll join us for that as well. You can find these podcasts on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. So please make sure to like and subscribe, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Music.